So uh, anyway, let's get right into our word this morning. Proverbs chapter 11. Uh, we're in this series. Today we're going to wrap it up. And today we're talking about, you know, creatures of habit. And my message today is be wise. Be wise. Uh, so verse 30, just one simple verse. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is what? Is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Now, I don't, I don't, if you're like me, you know, uh, January, January seemed like there were 90 days in it. I don't know what it was, but it, there was something about January. To me, it seemed like it was the longest January I've ever lived in my 58 years of life. I mean, it was just a long January. Well, but here's the thing. February is now. And so what's going to happen is now things are going to kick into hyperdrive, right? I, I, you think about it. I, I start the year typically with wanting to do certain things, and then all of a sudden I wake up and realize it's June, and I haven't even gotten off, first, off the home plate yet. You know, so we're going to jump into hyperdrive, uh, and, and, and I want you to understand, as we wrap this series up this morning, we're talking about habits. We are what we repeatedly do, right? That, that's what happens. Again, whether that's good or bad, we are what we repeatedly do. Habits are easy. They're, they're easy to get into, and they're very difficult to get out of. Uh, you know, creating those habits are very difficult. Habits are, uh, so what is a habit? A habit is a pattern of behavior that over time becomes comfortable. That's a habit. You know, another, another word you might use for it is rut. Anybody know what a rut is, right? You know, when I was in the military, uh, you know, if you were driving, like if you were, if you were in, a, in, in, in the mud or, you know, you would drive. If you drive over a certain pattern, in fact, I was telling her to service, I love watching some of the nature shows, and there's a show that comes on on Saturday on Smithsonian, it's called Aerial America. It's a great show because they, they, they take trips over various states, and they show you some of the highlights of, of, of what's in those states. It's beautiful. I mean, America is a beautiful country. And one, not long ago, there was one of the episodes was about the Oregon Trail. Anybody heard that in history? You know, go west, young man. And, and do you know there's still ruts from the Oregon Trail? I mean, there's still ruts that from, from what, 150, 200 years ago, there's still ruts there. It's, it's an amazing thing. A rut is something that we get into, and it's very comfortable, and it's very difficult to get out. By the way, a rut is simply a grave with both ends kicked out. <laughs> that, that's another way of looking at a rut. It's, just a, it's a grave with both ends kicked out. Um, but ha again, habits are just patterns of behavior. And, and after a while, those patterns of behavior get very comfortable, and then we don't want to get out of them. You know, habits, again, they're good, they're bad. But I want to tell you, if you're going to have a, a knockout year, we need to trade bad habits for good habits. Amen. Maybe another word would be discipline. You know, I, last week I preached about physical body, maintenance of our body. Listen, I'll never lose that 20 pounds that I talk about every January if, if I don't do something, right? You know, and, and, and I preached it last week, so I'm not going to do anything. Uh, listen, there are many disciplines that we could, we could get into as we close this series, but I want to talk about one. I think it's a very positive habit that I believe in 2024 has fallen by the wayside. Our text says, the latter part of it says, he who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. Now, now there are a lot of, there's a lot of uh, uh, variations on this verse as far as what people think that it means. And, and I'll just tell you right up front, contextually, okay, because that's what I'm going to start teaching on Wednesday night. So the context of this, now when we think about winning souls, we think of it in the context of the New Testament reaching lost people or winning souls. That really is not the context of the verse. However, it is implied in that verse. Okay, so there is an implication there. What the writer is doing is he's contrasting a fool with a wise person. If you look at the context of what he's writing, he's contrasting a fool and a wise man. The righteous, he said, are as trees of life. What do they do? They give off life-giving fruit to others. And then he said, a wise person is one who communicates that wisdom found in their walk with the Lord. In other words, that's what wisdom is all about. It's, it's not about, you know, God created us not to be a reservoir, but to be, so when I, we were flying in yesterday, I always, I always get interested in what air traffic control people do. So I'm, we're flying in. So we're coming up from the south, and they take us all the way up north, north DFW Denton area, 
to circle around to come in and land down. I know there's, there's science to that. But there's a lot of reservoirs. It, it, you know, that's where all the water is. It's designed to hold it. God didn't create us to be reservoirs. He created us to be a conduit, to, to let things out. And so, uh, you know, I, I just want to tell you this morning as I jump, jump into this message, there's a call right now in society, and I think it's growing louder and louder and louder for, for wise believers to engage in life-saving business. I did a video one time years ago about how God has called us to be a life-saving station. You know, what is, Fanny Crosby used to sing the song, Throw Out the Lifeline, Rescue the Perishing. You know, there's something to be said about that. There's some responsibility there. And I think with the growing darkness of our world right now, there is a call that's going out for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up and not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I think what's happened with our pop culture today, because we, we, we hear people being canceled all the time and doxxed and all those other things, and what that means is people want to silence you. But I think the world is looking for a church that will not be silenced by the complaints and the offense of others. I think the church has to stand up and declare. One of the things that I love about, uh, and you'll hear more about it because they're going to come visit with us, but uh, the church was a uh, uh, Casa, de Casa de Mi Gloria there in Managua. Uh, Nathan and Christine Alfaro were the, are the missionaries. They bought a piece of property that is probably one of the best pieces of property, property in Managua. It sits up on a hill, and so we went up there uh, that night for church, and from that hill, you look out over the entire city, and the first thing that came to mind when I stood on that piece of property, they're building right now, they're in the middle of construction, uh, digging the footings and the cistern and all the stuff that they've got to do, and I'm standing on that hill, and it just came to me that this is a city set up on a hill so that the light would shine and permeate the darkness. It, 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 that's what we're here to do. We're here to make a difference in other people's lives, and, and we're here. I, again, I've often said that every one of these empty chairs represents a soul for whom Christ died, and we're charged with reaching, and I believe that. And I said it's a bygone habit because the statistics are 85% of believers will live and die and never share their faith with one person. That's an alarming statistic, by the way. Live and die and never tell anybody about Jesus Christ. You know, our theme this year on these banners over here is simply this, each one bring one. It's not profound, it's not original, but it communicates a powerful message. And the, the idea is that every one of us ought to be committed to getting one person or reaching one person in a calendar year of 365 days. It's not hard. It just takes work and effort. So we try to do things throughout the year to help you, give you tools and opportunity to bring people. But again, uh, our, we're here on earth, I believe, to plunder hell and populate heaven. That's what the calling is. The mission of the church, Jesus said in Matthew 28, is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, now we've kind of misconstrued that about building kingdoms. It's not about building bigger buildings. It's not about growing bigger budgets. It's not about any of that other stuff. It's about reaching lost people. Why? Because lost things matter to him. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, understand lost things matter to him. He's concerned about lost things. You know, Jesus tells us that we're to lift up and look up our eyes, lift, lift up our eyes and see. Remember what he said? He said, see, the field is already for harvest. You know, we get busy, we pray for the harvest. Nowhere in Scripture are we called to pray for the harvest. We're called to pray for what? Laborers, workers. He said the field is already white unto harvest, and that grain that has reached that point of being white unto harvest is in danger of falling off the stalks. What he's saying is that you're not, you're, you're, you're not to be praying. The field is already ready. People are ripe. Because everything they put their confidence in has failed them. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. We have trusted in the institutions of man and the organizations of man. And they've all left us wanting. But there's one who does not leave us wanting. He fills us and satisfies us the deepest desires of our heart. And he said, now you see that there are people already there. And all you've got to do is go out and reap it. All you have to do is go out and do it. I'm saying there's a call right now for the church to rise up. It's unfortunate we have so many churches that are interested in building their brand when we're called to build his kingdom. 
Listen, I, I want to see the church grow, and we ought to be interested in church growth. We ought to be inviting our friends and getting them here. I'm, but that's not the main point. That's not the main point. The, the, the point is they're lost people that matter to him, and they should matter to us. You know, I, I was shocked to read this. Missiologists, people who study missions, say that the United States of America right now is in the top of the unreached people. And when you talk about the, for Christians, the United States of America is at the top of unreached nations as far as industrialized nations go. I mean, think about that. In this land, one nation under God, we are at a place now where we are in the top percentage of unreached people. There was not too many years ago, 100 years ago or so, it was reversed. We were in the top of evangelistic nations. We were sending missionaries to, to Asia, China, Vietnam, South America. We were sending them to the dark continent of Africa. Rightly so, and we should. But can I tell you today, many of those nations are sending missionaries into the darkness of America. And listen, I'm a veteran and I love this country, but I'm telling you, there's something wrong. There's a darkness that has ebbed out and has covered the, this nation. But, but there are places, there are pockets of people that are, that are praying and believing God. And the light is still shining. And it's time to shine brighter. It's time to shine brighter. Listen, the, 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 we're not keeping track, my friend. The population, uh, that the, way, the rate it's growing and the conversion rate, if you look at the numbers, they're, they're not correlating. We're losing ground. Every year we're losing ground. We're not reaching people. More people are being born, less people are being reached. It should not be in the house of God. Soul winning. It shouldn't be about bake sales and shouldn't be about bingo games and it shouldn't be about this and shouldn't be about that. It should be about reaching lost people for Jesus because lost things matter to him. I'm not saying we can't do those things. I'm just simply saying the priority is not about having a good time. The priority is reaching those lost people who don't know. This church that I was part of this past week from their central location. Today they'll have seven services of 1,500 plus. From that church there on that mountaintop on a tent. They've been meeting in a tent for five years. Probably four more years to build this building. But from that tent, they've, they've plant, planted ten other churches. We went on Thursday night, was one of the places we went to dedicate this place it was rocking. They were worshiping, praising God, altar calls filled, people hungry. And then that church is planting another church, and another one's planting another church. They're taking the light into the darkness. If you know anything about how oppressive it is in Nicaragua, then you understand that this is a significant thing. There's a call. A good habit to have, my friend, is this. Be vocal about our faith. I'm not talking about being antagonistic. I'm not talking about being a bully. I'm just talking about being willing to share your story. The woman at the well, she said, hey, come see a man. She wasn't a theologian. She hadn't been to Bible school. She just said, come see a man. And that was enough. That was enough. See, we need some more who are not so, I'm not saying it's not important to have grounding. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we need to tell our story. We need to let people know that there's a man who came at, a, at my worst place in life and he, and, he, and, he, and he forgave me and he loved me and he took me just as I am and he changed me. They need to hear that. Good, a good habit is to be vocal. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto uh, salvation to those who believe. Listen, we need to do that. We need to be vocal about it. Why? Because they matter. People matter. In fact, they matter so much that Jesus died for all for for God so loved the world that he gave. To illustrate how important lost things are, Jesus tells three parables in Luke 15. You know it well. It's a great, it's, it's, a, it's a chapter of lost things. He tells the story. He gives three parables. And, and, and what, he's, what he's trying to illustrate is how much lost things mean to him. So Jesus begins with a question. He said, to which of you being a shepherd... Of a hundred sheep, you know, the 99, which of you being a shepherd of a hundred sheep, lose one? Now, 
again, think of the culture that he's, it's, it's, it's that nomadic type culture. It's, there's a lot of shepherds. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you that what Jesus asked here is an unheard, it would be a, a, an absurdity. Because a shepherd would never lose one of his sheep. So they get past that, and, and they said, but you know, you, you, you leave, you, he said, you, he leaves, loses one, he leaves the 99, goes out into the open country, he doesn't bring the others back to the barn, he doesn't bring them to the city, he doesn't bring, he just, he just leaves them there to go and get that lost one. Why? Well, he leaves them out in the open where there are perhaps dangers, but he's not worried because, listen, there's strength and unity. There's strength and unity. See, what happens in the church, if we're not careful, the enemy likes to isolate us. So what will happen is, somebody will make you mad, okay? I know not here, okay? Nobody gets mad at anybody here, so I understand that. So, 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 so somebody makes you mad, and you isolate, right? We sulk. Come on now, don't act like you don't. We pout. We get off to our side, I'll show them. The enemy loves that. See, when we're together, it's very difficult because, see, if you get in trouble, you can get a grandma to come over there, and she'll, she'll go to bat with you. Remember that little granny in that war room movie? Devil, we're going to kick your honey. See, he knows when you get other people involved, when you come together, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. But if he can isolate. So that's why he leaves them, because he's not worried about the 99. Have, they have each other. Listen, when I was in the military, there are guys right now that I served with back in the late 80s and in early 90s that I could call right now that would probably drop what they're doing and get here as quick as, 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 quick as they can. And I would do likewise. These, would men, these were men that would get in the foxhole with me. These were men that covered my six. And I theirs. That should be the church. So he goes off and he finds that sheep. And the Bible says that he grabs that sheep and he puts it on his shoulders and he brings it home. And then what does he do? He throws a party. And then he says to all his friends, Rejoice with me because what I found, what I found that which was lost. Why? Because it mattered. And then Jesus goes into the second parable, and again, a hypothetical of an absurdity. He said, he said, so what woman among you, having ten coins, and loses one of them? Again, that ten coins represents perhaps her life savings. It's important. It may seem as an insignificant amount. It's significant. And he said, which of you would lose a coin and then not do what it takes to find it. So the Bible, again, that coin is a precious coin. So what does she do? She searches the house. Turns over every, every, everything. She, every nook, every cranny, every crevice. She wants to find that coin. And the Bible says when she finds that coin, she calls the neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found that which was lost. And has a party. And then Jesus tells the third story that you and I know as the prodigal son. Now, th now, this is a, it's a, it's a story, and please understand the significant character of this story is not the prodigal son, it's the daddy. He's the primary, primary character in the story. So, Jesus, so the story begins in verse 11 of chapter 15, says there was a man who had two sons. And of course, we know the story, the prodigal son, you know, he comes to his dad and says, Dad, you know what, I want my inheritance. And, and so he takes, dad breaks, you know, breaks up the family jewels and properties and stuff and gives his son the inheritance. The son goes off, moves, what, to a faraway place. The Bible says he squanders his living in a foreign country. He returns home. He's welcomed back into a family in a surprising way. That's the way we hear it in Western understanding. But the people that Jesus spoke to weren't Westerners. <laughs> they were Easterners. They had a whole different perspective on this story. So here's what's going on. The story opens with this boy coming to Jesus and said, Dad, divide your inheritance so that I can have my portion of the estate. Now, that's what we hear. What they heard was, Daddy, I wish you were dead. That's what they heard. Because you can't inherit an inheritance unless there's a death. So, Dad, I, 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 I want you to kick the bucket. 
I want my portion. It's, all, it's always funny, this story's comical, because I can, I can try to picture myself trying to do that to my dad. Dad, I want you to give me what's mine. <laughs> my dad would say, boy, hang on, I'll give you what's yours. <laughs> right? <laughs> How many got a dad like that? <laughs> I'll give you what's yours. <laughs> it's not going to be the family jewels, I promise you. <laughs> so, so the next words of the story it says, not long after that, the young son got together all that he had, set out for a far country, and squandered his wealth on wild living. Now, it's interesting because he doesn't leave immediately. Well, why not? Well, because he had to liquidate his assets. See, today we have banks, we have 401ks, we have IRAs, Roth, things like that. We, we, we have portfolios, investments. They didn't have that. Wealth was measured in property, in herds, flocks, things like that. So, so this boy, what he has to do is liquidate all of that property. So, so he had to find a buyer for all of his inheritance. You know, a portion of the family jewels, a portion of the family livestock, a portion of the family lands, all that kind of stuff. He had to find somebody to buy it. And guess where he's going to find the buyers? In the village that he lived. You, I mean, you can see a powder keg there. So, so Jesus is telling this story, and don't you imagine these people are listening to Jesus tell this story, and they're thinking, they're picturing this boy going up to their dad, dad, I wish, his dad, dad, I wish you were dead, and the father acquiescing to him and giving him his portion, and then he's going to the door, knocking on the door, saying, hey, I, I'm Johnny from down the street, would you buy some sheep? That's kind of what's going on. Would you buy a necklace? Would you buy some of this gold? And they're more, the, more, the more they think about it, the more incensed they are. How dare he buy or sell the family property? He's probably been in the family for generations. How dare this punk do this kind of stuff? As soon as he, as soon as, uh, you know, the scorn. I mean, you can imagine as he goes door to door trying to pan, uh, you know, panhandle his property and possessions, the scorn, just kind of the pressure to get out of town. So as soon as the last transaction is done, he heads to that far-off country, and it's in that far-off country that this, this wayward son descends into his own personal hell. I was telling the early story this morning. Well, let me, let me just move on a little bit. The Bible says in chapter 15, verse 13 of Luke, Luke there, he said he squandered, that means he wasted. He wasted his wealth in wild living. He blew it. And, and here's the thing. He didn't just blow it in private. He blew it inside of everybody. He lost it all. Now, they themselves are Middle Eastern too, so they, they think the same thing. They think this guy's a jerk. How dare he do this? But we're going to accommodate him. We're going to take his money. And so they, they take it all. He runs out of money, and you know what? The people run out of patience. They run out of patience. They're done with him. Now, Middle Easterns, they're not going to just come up to you and say, you know what, just get lost. What they're going to do is they're going to offer, so, so he needs a job. So he goes to find a job. And, 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 and in their culture, they want to be nice to They want to tell him to get lost in a nice way. So what they do is they say, okay, you want a job? Well, we have a job for you. Now, they knew he couldn't take the job. They made him, they offered him a job of slopping the pigs. Well, I mean, he's a Jewish boy, and a Jewish boy cannot that's an unclean animal according to the law of Moses. So they know that a good practicing Jew is not, not they're going to get into a, a, a pigsty. It was a nice way of saying, look, kid, get lost. But to everybody's surprise, this boy is so deep in his hole and his quagmire that he, he accepts that job. It's a terrible job, it's a hole of self pity. And he begins to think honestly about himself. See, that's the place. Sometimes we all have to get there, right? Amen. I told her in service, you've heard my testimony before. I ran away from home when I was a junior in high school. And the one thing I remember when I left home, my dad, my dad never chased me. My dad, I, I still had a relationship. In fact, I still worked with my dad some. My dad, uh, when he wasn't at the firehouse, the fire station, he was, again, on his construction roofing business. So I, I would work with my dad. My dad paid me good. 
My dad never tra- chased me. When I left home, it was about midway through my junior year in high school. The only thing my dad ever said to me was, boy, I didn't raise you to be like this. That's all he said. That's all he said. This dad extended tremendous wisdom to this boy. So this boy is sitting there in his own personal hell, full of self-pity, and he begins to think first time, probably the first time in his life, honestly about himself. He knows that there's no life for him in the foreign land, and yet he knows that he can't go home to his father because he's publicly humiliated him, he's embarrassed him, and brought shame to the family name. So how in the world could he ever go home to his father? And then he comes up with a plan that you and I know well. He says, you know what? My dad's a good man. See, my dad and I had a great relationship. You know, I, 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 never, I finished high school, went off into the military. My dad never chased me. We never really talked much about it. My dad let me find myself wallowing in that hole of self-pity because my dad was like this dad. He knew life's a good teacher. <laughs> life's a good teacher. This young man thinks to himself, my dad's a good man. He treats his servants better than I've been treated in this foreign land. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my dad, and I'm going to say, Dad, I was a fool. I made a mistake. I'm I'm, I'm not asking for you to reinstate me as your son. I just want to be one of your servants. Two problems. Number one, will his dad accept him back after he has been publicly shamed? And then secondly, what about the people in the village? By law, he could have stoned that boy. He could have taken him out into the, the town square and had all the townspeople gathered together and stoned him. So now he's got to think, will my dad ever accept me again? And will, will the townspeople, what will happen there? But he makes, makes up his mind, you know what, I'm just going to endure the shame. I'm going home. I'm going home. I get emotional when I think about that because sometimes we all have to get to that place of shame. If you sit there in that place of shame, listen, you can always go home. You can always come home. The father, because of his experience and his wisdom, knows two things. Number one, he knows that his immature, impulsive son is bound to fail. In fact, he knows that if his son ever does come home, more than likely it's not going to be as a successful businessman, it's going to be as a beggar. And the second thing that his father knows is that the villagers are probably not going to treat him very well. And as once word spreads that his boy is near in town because he's got he's to go through the village to get to a daddy's house. So they, he knows that they're not going to treat him well. They're going to mock him, spit on him, if not hurt him outright. He knows that his son, in order to get home, will have to endure the scorn of the crowd every step he takes. The father does this or knows this, and then the father does something that is astounding. This is where the father steps in. He does five things that just blow that culture out of the water. Again, Jesus is telling these stories to illustrate lost things matter. And because they matter, you go to the links to reach them. So this dad does five things. Number one, The first thing this dad does, he runs. Now, it may not seem like a big deal to us, okay? Uh, Listen, let me just add this little parenthetical here. If you see me running, run. (laughs) I don't have to be fast. I've just got to be faster than you. (laughs) There's something after me. So if I'm running, you better run too. (laughs) So so the dad runs. And, and, uh, you know, when word comes, okay, so think about it. Word comes to us to this dad that his, that his boys come into town, been seen on the outskirts of town. The Bible says the father runs to him. So what is dad doing? Well, dad is instead of, he knows what's going to happen if his son comes through town. So instead of his son bearing the shame and the scorn, dad says, I'll bear it on my son's behalf. That's what he's doing. And he runs the gauntlet for his son. It's an outrageous thing because noble men with flowing robes never run anywhere. He exposed his ankles, running down through the village. He's been humiliated once by his son. Now he's humiliating himself for his son because he pulls his pants up and he runs through town shaming himself because his boy's on the other side. 
Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said it like this, great men never run in public. And yet daddy, daddy's running. He may not have run in 10 years. Ah, but when your lost boy's coming, you be the pastor of that boy. The Bible says while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and, and here's what it says, and he was filled with compassion. Church, when was the last time we were filled with compassion over the lost people we run into on a daily basis? When was the last time we looked past their title or their job or what they're doing? When was the last time we saw with compassion the lostness and the helplessness and the death that they carry in the trespasses? And when was that last time? He was moved with compassion. He was filled. That's how the father feels about his children. He's totally moved by, by love towards his wayward son. As that father runs through the village, I know he knows he's creating a spectacle. Can you just picture that in your mind? Here's a dignified man with a nice flowing robe. He's a nobleman. And he pulls his pants up and he just starts running. Through. Do my socks match? Just making sure I don't have the wrong color socks on. <laughs> And he, he pulls them up, and he just runs. And, and, and I can hear old Bessie. And Susan. And John. They're just happy. Can you, can you believe it? How dare he? His son's already humiliated him enough. And I mean, here he's humiliating himself again. That father's like, man, that's my boy. <laughs> that's my boy, and he matters. I don't care what these people say. That's my boy. There was another one that did that for me. Jesus said, Father, if I don't go, Michael will be lost. I'll take his shame. I'll take the humiliation. I'll take it all. I'll bear it on myself for him. And he did it for each of us. Why? Because we matter. We matter. He comes to, you know, and it's kind of interesting. You follow the second thing the father does so the, so the dad runs through the town, enduring the shame and the scorn, and he gets to the other side of town. And, and the boy, then remember, he's already practiced in his head what he's going to do. So when he sees his dad, he's going he's gonna to bow down to his dad and say, Dad, I'm not worthy. Please let me be a slave. Notice what the dad does. The second thing he does, verse 20 of Luke 15, says he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So picture that scene now. The son had pictured himself coming and abasing himself to his dad, but he can't get down. He's wanting to bow down to his dad and humbly submit to, his, to him and ask for forgiveness and ask to be, but he can't get down. He can't bend down. Why? Because dad's got him in a bear hug and he's kissing him. And the word means continually. <laughs> his lost boy had come home. How many's ever had somebody, a distant, a, a relative, or maybe a son or daughter that's gone away for a long time and they come home and you're just overwhelmed? That's what's going on. This dad, he just kisses him and kisses him, you know, and, and, and he can't, and the boy can't get down. He, I, I'm waiting for him to say, time out, dad, I want to get on my knees first. <laughs> but dad won't let him go. He, he's, over, he's just being overwhelmed with love. That's what God does to us. That's what God does to us. We come to him, and we're, we're broken, and we're empty, and we're lost. And he just grabs us. Says, it's okay, I, you're worth it all. You're worth it all. The son had planned that speech, but it didn't go that well. Third thing he did, i got to hurry. The father, the third thing he did is he calls for a robe to be put on him. And I noticed what the text says. Said, the father said to his servant, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Who had the best robe in the house? Daddy did. <laughs> Daddy did. Go get my robe. See, the father and son are standing at the edge of the village, and the father wants the whole village to know that he has accepted his son. That's my boy. He said, you know what? I want you to wear my, I want you to wear it proudly. You don't, don't abase yourself. Don't, don't get down and grovel. You're my boy and you come home. See, there's so many people today, I really believe, that are battling with a guilt complex because of what they used to do.
and they're afraid. They, they're like this little boy, this wayward son. They want to they grovel before the Lord when the Lord is standing there saying, you know what, I'll clothe you in my righteousness. I'll take off that garment and I'll give you a new one. And it's not going to be a garment of your shame and it's not going to be a garment of your sin. It's not going to be a garment of your guilt. It's going to be a garment of my righteousness because you're my kid and I love you and I'm proud of you. That's what that story's telling us. The father does another thing. The fourth thing that he does, he said now, verse 22 said, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. I like that. A ring was probably a signet ring that would be one of the it would be a, 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 a legal uh, ring that would, a family crest or seal that he would use probably to sign documents, legal transactions. What does it mean when he gave it to his son? It means, I trust my boy. I trust my, I trust my boy. I, I've empowered him to be part of my family. He's not a servant. He's my boy. The sandals were a sign that he was a free man. Slaves didn't wear, didn't wear shoes. Servants didn't get them. They walked barefoot. He said, put shoes on my, my boy's feet because he's part of the family. And then the father says this. He said, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Wasn't the fatted goat. Cabrita. <laughs> Wasn't the sheep. Wasn't bring a bunch of chickens. You know, wasn't raising Cain. <laughs> it was a calf. Bring a fatty calf. Why, why a calf? Because it was big. Watch this. It was big. In fact, it was big enough for the whole village. See, Daddy, you see what the father's doing right here? In the, he runs and takes the shame of the crowd. He puts his best robe on him, gives him a, he said, I'm empowered, my boy, he's a free man. Give him a ring, I'm kissing him, I'm loving on him. He's got shoes, he's got my robe, he's got my ring. Now we're going to have a party. You know what he's doing? He's inviting the village to share in his joy. He doesn't want, to be, he doesn't want his son to only be reconciled to him he wants him to be reconciled to the village. And how do you do that? You throw a barbecue. Hey, if I did a barbecue every week, this church would not hold the people. <laughs> I'm telling the truth. It's that, that's right. He, he, throws, he throws the mother of all parties. Why? Because his lost boy has been found. Why? Because lost things matter. Lost things matter. One of the things that we have to do in 2024 is we need to tell people about Jesus. How is it that we can talk about sports and we can talk about the bachelor and the bachelorette and the golden bachelor and the widow bachelor and the other bachelors and whatever? I don't even know what's out there. How is it that we can talk about that but we can't be like the lady at the well and say, come see a man? It ought not be that way. It ought not be that way. We have something of great value to give, to share. And there are people that are of great value that have not heard and that need to hear. Again, I still believe every one of these chairs represents a soul for whom Christ died, and I believe we're charged to reach. Again, it's not a, they're, they're guys that are in ministry to build their own brand. I'm not one of those. I'm not saying I don't want to see the church grow. That's not what I'm saying, because I do. I think it's important. I think it's a great testimony to, to a, a world today that thinks the church is irrelevant. I think it's very relevant if a church just, again, all of these chairs filled with people who were lost, <laughs> but they've been found. Lost things matter. He who wins souls is wise. As I close this morning, guys, come on back. I'll wrap this up. This story reveals the heart of God. The first thing I see about the heart of God is everything that's missing matters. Everything that is missing matters. 
if you've been told that you don't amount to anything, that you're no good, that you're a mess up, that you're, that, that you're, you're klutz, you're whatever. You matter to him. You matter to him. Doesn't matter how many times you've struck out. Doesn't matter how many times you, you, you've fallen down. It does not matter. You matter to him. And he tells us these stories. because Again, the sheep matters to the shepherd. The coin matters to the woman. And the son matters to the father. Lost things matter. Period. The second thing we see is that what's missing warrants an intentional search. used to be a time when people would routinely pop into the church because they just wanted to visit. How I many know oh, that's not happening anymore? Oh, I think occasionally there are people that pop by, you know, that, that you know, I, I've always prayed, Lord, let this place be a, an oasis where people drive by and inexplicably just want to come and be part of it. But more, than, more often than not, people come because there's an interac- interaction with somebody else. Angel had to work this morning, but uh, again, I just say, I sat in a a barber's chair getting what little hair I have on my head cut. And the conversation just comes up. We're not not talking about anything other than when she says, what do you do for a living? I said, oh, I'm a local pastor. Ah, what church? I tell her, again, that's no, I don't say anything. I, I just tell her. Well, I was thinking about going to a church Sunday, and I said, why don't you come see me? And she hadn't left. Well, I mean, she's not here today, but <laughs> she had to work. <laughs> and again, I'm not saying that for attaboys, okay? Not at all. I'm just simply saying, it's not hard. It's not hard. I go to the gym. I know it doesn't look like it. I go to the gym. <laughs> I have some great conversations at the gym. <laughs> I go to the gym, and I, I talk to people. And inevitably, we can be talking about benching that 300 pounds I try to get off my chest. I know, you know. (laughs) Don't laugh at me, that hurts. (laughs) There was a day, there was a time. (laughs) Inevitably, the message comes around. You get on Jesus. The third thing is this, reclamation brings joy. Every one of them, when they found what was lost, they celebrated they celebrated. On friend day that's coming up on March the 24th, we'll have people that will be in the altar. And you know, you remember what I do every time we do this? I'll, I'll lead people in prayer, and then at the end of the prayer, I'll say, now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to do one thing for me. I want you to get up out of your seat and meet me right down here. And then we as a church, what do we do? We put our hands together and we applaud. You know what we're doing? We're celebrating. We're celebrating somebody, either for the first time or an act of rededication, is coming home. There's a party here, and there's a party there. What I'm saying is lost things matter, church. Out of all the stuff that you have to do, out of all the stuff that we have to do, don't lose sight of the fact that you and I have been called to be a rescue station. We're not to cherry-pick the rich and famous. We're to go into the highways and the byways. We're to go to Skid Row. We're to find the, the rejects and the outcasts of society and bring them in. Listen, I'm not uncomfortable. I'm not uncomfortable with people answering my rhetorical questions. I'm not uncomfortable. You know, if you go down through 30 years, we've had people here that have struggled in some areas of life and, and answer my questions that I didn't ask. Right in the middle of the sermon. And do other things. I'm not, I'm, it doesn't bother me. Somebody, you remember when we had our special needs ministry? One Sunday I'm up here preaching and the back doors of the church bust open and a little boy probably... I don't know, five or six years old, comes running right down the middle of the aisle of the church, jumps up here on the platform while I'm preaching. Mom's mortified, or grandma's mortified. It's coming out of the balcony to get to her boy, this grandson. I put my arm around him, and I said, hey, man, it's going to be okay. Grandma's coming. Grandma got down here, got the boy, and I went right back to preaching. Doesn't bother me. See, be very careful about being selective in who you want in your congregation. Go out and throw out the net. Bring in the masses. Why? Because Jesus cares and they matter. Would you stand with me this morning?
I've sat on the ground in this church with my feet locked around someone strung out on dope held on to them they matter they matter and if they matter to him they ought to matter to us he who wins souls is wise I want to close this way. I, you know, I, I really struggle. You know, when, when you do, how, how do you close a service like this? Here, here's what I want to say. Two things. Number one, if you're here and Jesus is not Lord, make Him Lord today. Don't don't leave this place with play, playing playing patty cake with Him or, or or sticking your toe in the shower. Jump in and get all of it. I think, I think I want to do it this way. If you're here today, say, you know what, preacher? I want to be a soul winner. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to go to Bible school. You just have to say, I met a man. <laughs> I was lost and undone, and I was on the highway to hell, and I was, I, I, I was a mess. But I met a man who turned me around. And he can do it for you. He can do it for you. They sing that song if you're here today and say, you know, Pastor, I want to be, I want to be a soul winner. I want to be somebody who, who looks at the lost of our world and I want them to matter to me like they do Jesus. The sad mark of today's church, and pardon my the way I say this, but we if we're not careful, we can become so callous to what's going on in our world that we say, you know what, I'm saved and going to heaven and to hell with everybody else. And that's exactly what's going to happen if somebody's not moved with compassion for the lost around us. So while they sing this morning, if you say, Pastor, you know what? I want God to help me. I want to be a light where I go. And you know what? Just fill the altar. Fill the aisles, wherever you need to go. And just say, Lord, I'm not much. I pray that every day. Lord, I'm not much. But I'm willing. I'll try. I'll do anything. Because one day he saw me lost. And he saw me helpless. And my father, he ran to me in a barracks in San Antonio, Texas. He said, you're my boy. And he put his arms around me and he loved me. And he's been loving on me since 1985. And I want people to know, Lord, help me to do better. Help me to do better.
1997, 1997, I had been at this church now for about four years. I'm going to pray. And, and what had happened in this, in, in 93 when I came here, there was this consensus back then in church growth that you did all, you did stuff to get people in the door. And the whole point behind getting people in the door was to build the church. And so early on in our ministry, I started, I bought into that. And so we did, some of you might remember the 93, 93 to 97 time frame where we we did concert series we had stuff going on all I mean we're still a busy church but I mean the whole impetus behind every bit of that was to get build the church build my reputation 1997 and I maybe I need to revisit this I haven't done it in a long time but we did a drama I wrote a drama based on in 1997 on a Saturday night right down front here I was here praying and I had a vision of people going to hell I've been in church all my life. I don't know what I, what I was thinking. I had it pictured in my mind some way, but when God, I was the proverbial fly on the wall of the great white throne judgment. I remembered it vividly today as the night it happened in 1997. And I, I don't have time, I know it's after the hour, so I'm gonna just say this. It shook me to my core. When I saw people stand before God on the throne, I saw his feet, I saw this massive throne I saw angels on each side of these people, and as God would say, depart from me, I never knew you. Immediately they collapsed, and those angels picked them up and ushered them right out of his presence. I broke down, and I bawled most of the night. The next day I got in, some of you may remember this, that next Sunday I got up here, I scrapped the message that I planned to preach that day, and I said, I owe this church an apology. I said, because what I've done over the last, and again, there was nothing wrong. People were getting saved. Things were happening. I said, but the motivation of everything that we've done was to build this church. And I said, God last night corrected my perspective that it's not about building my church. It's about building his kingdom. And so I asked for the church to forgive me that day. And I said, from now on, everything that we do moving forward will have the purpose behind it of getting people into the kingdom of God. 
And since that time, the motivation has always been about reaching lost people. We've had, we've had tons and tons of people that have accepted Christ and rededicated their life. Some have ended up here. Some have ended up in the street down, church down the street. Some in a church in another city. Doesn't matter to me. I pray, God, you bring in the labors that help me do what you called me to do. But it's about souls. My prayer is today, may we see the, and understand the importance of reaching lost people because they matter to him and they should matter to us. And I'm praying for another wind of the Spirit to blow or that we all become evangelists in the marketplace, in the highways and the byways, and this church filled with the outcasts and the rejects and people that just need Jesus and watch revival break out. That's when it happens right there. So let's be a soul-winning people above all. Father, today I love you. Thank you. Thank you that lost things matter because I once was lost, but I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Father, may we see that the harvest is ready and not wait for somebody else to reap it, but Lord, may we do what you called us to do. May we not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. So empower us and motivate us because they matter to you. Now I ask a blessing upon every person here, Lord, as we seek you, as we seek your ways. Lord, I pray your favor rest upon us. Go ahead of us. Prepare the way so that we can speak into other people's lives. I ask you to go out of here with us. Give us a great day. May we shine. If you tarry, Lord, every day this week, may we shine and bring attention to you, not ourselves. And I ask your blessings and favor to rest upon everyone this week. Bring us again the next time. I love and bless each one. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said amen. Love you very much. Thank you for being with us online. I'll see you next time. God bless you. Hear the oceans roar, see the skies.